Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? Welcome into the Staple Show. Um, I'm seeing some comments here. Alex Barber, how do we know you didn't plan this with Ryan and Matt? Uh, I thought that was going to be a comment about us being late, and I want to take this time to mention that we were right on time. 7.30 on the dot. I made sure of it, Ryan Talbot. Welcome in to the Shop Buffalo Bills football podcast, brought to you, as always, by Shop, uh, by Tops Friendly Markets. Are you ready for Slider Sunday, the Bills and the Pats, this Sunday at 1 p.m. in Foxborough? Every time you visit slidersunday.com, you have a chance to win free products, brand swag, tailgating gear, trips, and more. One chance per day, no purchase necessary. Tops Friendly Markets, make sure you make Tops part of your game day. What's up, Ryan? Hey, not too much. Ready to talk some football. I'm ready to talk some football, too. We got a lot to get into today. Uh, a pretty hefty injury report. Uh, that's on the docket. We'll, we'll probably start there. Then we're going to get into this offense, because I feel like there's been so many talking points about this offense happening this week uh, that I think, you know, a place... Um, 731 Jessica says no that was 730 on the dot maybe there was a little buffering and maybe there was but I hit go live at 730 I I know I did Ryan can you I know you, you did this we, we were ready you said okay. that we're gonna start right on time tonight and and we did we absolutely let's let's, did. let's blame the technology if it if it actually didn't go until 731 um we'll get into the offense we'll talk a, a bunch about that we'll take your questions and actually um, we got a bunch of questions from our Shout Buffalo Bills insiders. Uh, I put out uh, the the bat signal to all of our superheroes in the Shout Insider chat, and they came through with a bunch of cool, um, cool questions that we're going to kind of dive into, and also maybe some trade deadline targets. And and I've been thinking a little bit about this the last couple of days, and and where maybe the Bills could you know spend some of their energy or draft capital to add uh, some players. So we'll get into all of that over the course of the show, but let's start with Ed Oliver because out of today, I think the most concerning development post giants game is the potential of Ed Oliver not playing against the Patriots. And today was a walkthrough. 
He has a toe injury that he sustained in the Giants game, played through it, played 87% of the snaps, was out there quite a bit, um, finished the game. So that's a good sign. But he starts off on the injury report, a DNP to start. Tomorrow is a huge day, Ryan. Um, whether or not he practices and, and maybe like projecting his status for Sunday. But I, I guess I wanted to take a second to to talk about what does this thing look like without Ed Oliver? Because beyond him, I, I mean, no disrespect to any of those guys, but they are just a group of guys. You'd probably see a, a call up off the practice squad, uh, a, a much heavier load for Puna Ford, who we could talk about as well. Tim Settle, Jordan Phillips played uh, quite a bit. So what do you think happens if Oliver can't go? Yeah, if Oliver can't go, it's going to be a, a major loss to the Bills in the inside of that uh, defensive line because obviously we know they're without Daquan Jones for uh, the foreseeable future. And at Oliver, even in his first game without uh, Jones, he didn't show up much in the stat sheet, but he made a lot of impact plays in terms of um, kind of blowing things up on the inside uh, like for the Giants and uh, helping other players get through and make plays and, and kind of clean things up. So he still had a really nice game last week too so if he is out you're right I mean that increases the workload for Jordan Phillips someone that's been dealing with injuries the past few years here in Buffalo uh, you probably want to limit his his reps if possible for that very reason Tim Settle who had a strong summer but uh, you know I, I probably hasn't lived up to the expectations the Bills had in mind for him when they signed him uh, to a free agent contract and then Puna Ford someone who came in and played a little less than 20 snaps last week in his first action of the season it, it's still a solid or a decent uh, trio of players, but the drop-off obviously is pretty great based on the play that Oliver so far this year. Mm -hmm. I took a quick peek at the practice squad because I had to make sure that Ilianku was still there uh, as the Bills have kind of moved some people in and out. He is. Uh, he's one of two defensive tackles on the Bills practice squad. Andrew Brown, who they've signed after the Daquan Jones injury. I don't think you want to be in a spot where you're relying on him to play any significant amount of snaps. He's obviously just gotten here too. So there's a, a bit of a ramp up probably that's needed there. But I think Anku has proven over the course of his career that he can fill in. And I think with the Oliver development, like you kind of almost have to be grateful if this is a day-to-day -day situation and we'll maybe, you know, hone in on that a little bit more with Sean uh, before practice tomorrow. Um, this is a week where you could probably – survive without Oliver just because of what's happening on the other side. New England, the interior of the, their offensive line is bad. I mean, the guard play on the left of David, David Andrews is the one consistent piece. And then you have uh, a young guard on the left. I'm forgetting his name. And then Michael on has been, was out last week. And when he has played Andrew Callahan, our good buddy who uh, gave us our first look at the Patriots earlier in the week said he hasn't even looked like that guy this season because he's been dealing with an injury. That's a huge development, right? Remember when we did that preseason draft with Joe Marino and Jeremy white, I had him as the first offensive lineman off the board after Taron Armstead. Yeah. So if the Patriots continue to struggle with their offensive line play, which has been a theme throughout the season, then the bills, like you said, can probably get by, but uh, you obviously want your best guys out there. You're hoping that the fact that at Oliver played through the toe injury against the giants uh, means that he can probably play on Sunday, at least that's the hope, uh, knowing full well that he can have a full week to kind of rest, take it kind of easy, maybe be limited uh, once or twice this week, but go through the practice week without having to do too much. He's at that point in his career now where he doesn't necessarily need those practice reps. He's shown that he can come out and just kind of show up and play. 
Um, so I still think I'm not, uh, I don't want to say I'm overly concerned yet that he won't play, but it would be a major development for the inside of this defensive line if he can't suit up on Sunday. Did you notice that just now? I hit my little uh, button on my chair and I went like flying down a couple notches. Did you notice <laughs> I that? Did, I did see something there. Yeah, as I was talking. We should make that into a, a GIF. Do you say GIF or JIF? I say I, I do both ways, actually. I don't well, just pick one or the other. JIF oh. is what I usually say, though. JIF? Yeah. I, I knew that would be the case. You know, you 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 kind of take the uh, the less traveled road on most of those kinds of things, like Falcons. Um, you know, that's what's another one? What's another one? I don't know. I say a lot of things. Or people uh, Falcons can... is one that you really get people heated in the comments with that one. Yeah, my wife gets after me for the way I say hangers. Like you put your your shirt on a hanger. I don't know. Yeah, like I think the G is supposed to be silent. Not for me. It's not. Okay, not for this guy. Okay, that's fine. Um, I, I I appreciate it. I like when you say Falcons. Falcons, <laughs> excuse me. So, uh, whatever. Um, all right, the rest of this injury report. Quentin Morris. I mean, it's interesting because the Bills... Um, oh, one more note on Ed Oliver before we move on. So, um, I saw him in the field house today. Um, obviously, coming off the practice field, walking around. He looked like he was in good spirits. So, I... I want to provide at least that little nugget of something that I saw while I was there. You know, sometimes when guys aren't practicing, they're getting like uh, treatment and maybe he was, I, I didn't see anything behind the scenes, but the one moment that I did see him after practice, he looked like he was walking around uh, pretty well. So uh, I think maybe that's a good sign and, and we'll kind of see where things stand tomorrow. And then uh, when we get the injury report, I mean, if he's limited tomorrow, I think things drastically improve in terms of this weekend. Uh, but we'll we'll wait and see. Um, interestingly enough, that uh, Greg Rousseau remains on the injury report, as does Dane Jackson, both with foot injuries. Uh, Rousseau played last week. Dane Jackson didn't. They were both limited today. I think probably both trending in a pretty good direction for this weekend. We'll see uh, how Dane Jackson's going. And, and that's going to be important for Dane because Ryan Kyer Elam re-aggravated an ankle injury and was limited today. So if Dane Jackson is able to get back, that might kind of, you know, I, I think he'd probably start over Kyrie Elam anyway, but even so, that's something to watch out for because if you have those two guys dealing with the injury, the depth of cornerback all of a sudden is – the Bills are very challenged in that, in that department. Yeah, they are very thin at cornerback right now, especially outside cornerback, obviously. So to see Kyrie Elam pop up on this uh, injury report and to hear from Sean McDermott today that it was a re-aggravation of an ankle injury from – this summer, it's definitely worrisome. It's definitely something uh, to monitor because you're right. They were without Dane Jackson last week. They were without Christian Benford the week before that. They've lost Trey White uh, for the season. So they're taking their hits there, and the depth is really being tested. We've talked a lot about Jamarcus Ingram and, and how much that we uh, believe in his abilities and like his upside. But this is not a situation or, or a... Uh, area where you want to see these younger players and experienced players playing significant reps uh, this early in the season or for, you know, the majority of this season. So you're hoping that Elam's injury isn't too significant, that he can be out there. But obviously, Dane Jackson, if you can get him back into the fold, uh, that would be a significant development for this team. Um, Pretty big uh, news today for Bills fans that were panicking a little bit over the Dalton Kincaid situation with him potentially remaining on the in the concussion protocol. He was out of it today, which I think 
is huge. He was available for the walkthrough. We'll see where he's at tomorrow. Uh, but the Bills actually worked out a, a couple of tight ends uh, uh, earlier this week, according to um, Aaron Wilson uh, out in Houston. It was uh, – did you, did you see the names of that, of, of the two uh, tight ends? I did not. I did not. I, missed uh, I just sent them along in the uh, subtext. I'll bring them up before we uh, – in a minute, I'll, I'll find it and bring it up. But I think it's interesting that they're working out tight ends because Quentin Morris couldn't practice today. And so you're looking at this weekend. I mean, even when Kincaid and Knox have both been good to go, Quentin Morris has been a game day active, plays a special teams role. So I think it tells you two things. Number one, Morris's injury could be something of more week to week uh, category. We'll see. And then also maybe Joel Wilson, not like super thrilled with what they have on the practice squad. Obviously a young UDFA developing player. They might want to go outside of the organization to find, you know, a one week stopgap if, if Quentin Morris can't play. Yeah, if he can't play, that that's again, it, it's a significant hit because of the special teams play. We saw what he could do against the Giants uh, coming up with a game winning score. He has that athleticism. He's someone that's improved as a blocker in his time here in Buffalo, which is something else they'd like to emphasize with the tight ends. It's an area that Dalton Kincaid is still kind of working on his craft at, but. Getting Kincaid back into the fold is going to be uh, a big thing for this offense. I know he has not been utilized as much as, uh, at least as much as I expected going into this season. A lot of uh, fans probably expected. But he is still another guy that I think can win off the line. Uh, that's been an issue for this team outside of Stefan Diggs. I think getting open across the middle and starting to see him get utilized more is going to be uh, to this offense's benefit. So, Hopefully he's going to be kind of a, a full go this week and you're going to start seeing him being utilized a little bit more like fans probably envisioned when he was selected in the uh, first round of this year's draft. And, and Matt, I have to ask, how do you say eggs and waffles? Eggs. What's the other one? Because my wife says eggs. I don't like eggs, even though I think that that is the proper way to say it. It just sounds weird to me. So I've always said eggs and sometimes I like you really like lean on the, the, the first part. So it's, it's not yeah. like eggs, you know, but I, eggs, eggs. Right, I think I'd say eggs too. So good. What's the other one? Waffles. Waffles. I don't know, Caitlin. Must, I, I was expecting say, something big here. I was expecting. You must say waffles or something. She must say waffles or <laughs> waffles or something. I don't know, but she, she, yeah, she makes fun of me for the, for how I say several things. So you're not alone, right? I guess that's the the the, the grand uh, declaration there is that, you know, our wives have problems with the way that we say certain words. Hundred percent. Good. All right. So a little off topic, but I think that we should talk about this because I think it's super interesting. Did you happen to catch the video uh, that um, <laughs> she said you're both annoying? Then the video that Thad Brown tweeted on monday he got the post-game interaction between sean mcdermott and brian dable and boy was it a frosty one wasn't it yeah. I, I felt like a little bit of a shiver as i watched it yeah I, you know i thought it was kind of snowing outside because of how cold that interaction was i mean that handshake was so brief there was like no eye contact uh they just moved along in their own direction and you know, listen, it, it, this is speculation because who knows, maybe they talked before the game or maybe there was more to it, but I, I'm guessing they, they are very different philosophically in terms of, you know, um, their, their mindsets, their beliefs, maybe, and, and maybe over time working together, uh, they just kind of, 
I, I don't know, got, I don't want to say got on each other's nerves or anything like that, but it's just probably one of those strained relationships that over time occurred. And it was, it was time for them to part ways and have that, you know, Dable get a head coaching job and Sean stay in Buffalo. But it, it definitely did not look like a, you know, two coaches that had been together for quite a few years here in Buffalo uh, playing major roles at that for this team with Dable leading the offense and McDermott obviously being the head coach and leading this defense. Yeah, so uh, when 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 uh, Dable left and the Brian Flores lawsuit came out, if you all remember, um, McDermott and Dable were actually named in the lawsuit uh, because of uh, Flores, who was a candidate for the Giants job. Uh, he was making the argument that it was always going to be Dable and he wasn't given a fair shot. And this was an excerpt from the uh, from the lawsuit. Ironically, during their January 11, 2022 text exchange, Mr. McDonald, who was, uh, I think, the president uh, of the Giants at the time, also suggested that if Mr. Flores were hired as the Giants head coach, Brian Dable might be interested in leaving Buffalo to serve as his offensive coordinator. Her Dable isn't happy with Sean McDermott in Buffalo, might be able to get out if he doesn't get a head, head job dot, dot, dot thoughts. So this was kind of, you know, trending in that direction. And it's, it's, and Sean said all the right things ever since then publicly, he's never, um, you know, suggested anything like that. Actually, he's been asked about this and we wrote a story. I think it might've been at the combine about it, asking both him and Dable about it. And Sean said he respects Brian. And, you know, I think the one quote he had last week even was when you work with somebody for as long as you, you know, we did, there's going to be tough conversations that happen in there. So I'm sure they had the exchange of ideas, maybe had ideas on how things should be, should happen. And it's tough too, because if you look at both sides of the ball, like you're both kind of like you have your weight to pull, right? Like as you're kind of, as the, the whole operation is moving forward. And you know, at times like it felt in the playoffs that maybe the, the defense wasn't carrying the same amount of weight as the offense was, especially in 2022, was it or 2021, whichever the, uh, what year was that? No, I can't even remember. 2021. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. It was definitely like, uh, you know, let's get in and out of this situation as fast as possible. So we don't have to actually exchange any thoughts. And it's funny, even guys that you felt over the years, like there's like a undertone of a rivalry or anything like that. Like, I mean, that Sean's was like two weeks removed from having a full out hug bro fest with Mike McDaniel. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. And, you know, they, they, they clearly respect one another, but it, it, like conflict of, of ideas probably came up. And, you know, I, I would love to look at the splits of how often Josh Allen has been used as a runner under Dable versus the last year plus now under Ken Dorsey. It certainly feels significantly less. Maybe that was, you know, part of the philosophy issues where Sean didn't want his quarterback taking the hits. Brian realized that, you know, it put fear into the defense. Uh, it, it added another wrinkle to this offense because it sure it certainly feels, especially this year, uh, those numbers are, are down drastically. Uh, I don't want to say it's made this Bills team um, less dynamic, but I, I think it has taken something away from the fastball that we've seen them uh, have the past few years. So it, it could have been something as simple as that because you, you're dealing with a $258 million quarterback and you know you, you want him to be healthy for uh that contract and then obviously a future one as well yeah uh anyway we don't spend too much time on that i thought it was uh just kind of interesting uh aj mentioned uh before asking if Knox's wrist injury has limited him at all or if you've noticed anything with him this week um 
I haven't seen it, and and he played the majority of the game. Obviously, had that one play where uh, late in the game, uh, I think it was a third down, where the, actually PFF did not give him a right. drop on that play, and Josh Allen took responsibility for it. The ball, it, it was a bad pass. Like it, it should have been thrown a little bit further out, make it a little bit easier on the on your receiver. Um, but no, I think Docs, uh, Dawson Knox is in a good spot. Um, that he's still dealing with the wrist injury. I think that's why he's on the injury report, but all the people that are kind of dealing with something right now, um, he's probably the one I'm least worried about, if that makes sense. And then Damian Harris, obviously still dealing with the, the neck injury. Uh, he's out of the hospital, which is great news. Uh, scary scene on the field kind of reminded me of the Dane Jackson situation early last season. Remember yeah. when the ambulance came out for him? Uh, obviously that that transpired or you know in a, in, a, in a positive way and it seems like Harris is trending in that direction as well there's a little bit of a fake out uh the other night uh on uh the running back front uh as Jordan Schultz tweeted that uh Leonard Floyd or Leonard uh, Fournette was coming to Buffalo on a on a visit and I think like 10 hours later um the whole you know brigade came out with uh to to refute that report uh and, and he wasn't coming on that visit and the the reasoning was that given was that Ty Johnson the Bills maybe thought they might lose him off their practice squad although that's weird like I don't know like he's been on their practice squad for weeks so I don't know what the sudden urge or or sudden you know deal was that they thought somebody would take him or sign him um, but they're just going to kind of sit where they're at, which I think makes sense anyway. They've, they've really leaned into Latavius Murray as it is. And I think adding a Leonard Floyd Fournette, like kind of muddies the waters a little bit because I don't, I don't think they were really using Damian Harris all that much. Yeah. I mean, the utilization would have been interesting. Who knows if it would have been a main roster or practice squad move because it was to replace Ty Johnson. Hypothetically, it might've been a practice squad type of deal until I uh, could get into prove he was in football shape and maybe then elevate him. You know, Fournette, he, he's built like he's a physical back, but he's actually a pretty good pass catcher too. 73 receptions last year uh, in Tampa Bay. So I, I'm sure the Bills maybe in their mind said, if we lose Ty Johnson, this is that next man up that we think can do things, uh, you know, a lot of the same things. And the one interesting thing about practice squad players is if a team does want to sign them, the players can actually say, no, I want to stay on the, the practice squad. So who knows? Maybe it was... Johnson, who ultimately made a decision to say he wanted to stay in Buffalo, maybe he knew an opportunity would uh, present itself based on this injury to Damian Harris over these next few weeks. Uh, I'm not sure what happened there, obviously, based on that report from Jordan Schultz. Uh, But if Fournette remains unsigned and there is an injury in this running back room, I mean, I think we know who might be getting that call if that uh, were the case. Um, if you're not gonna get a call, but if you want to get a text, you should sign up to become a shout Buffalo bills insider, uh, text messages galore from Ryan Talbot and Matt Perino, uh, seven, one, six, five, two, eight, six, seven, two, seven. Uh, that will get you a two week free trial, uh, three 99 a month after that. And the shout text line is brought to you by Carrie C. Buyer, attorney with the law offices of Francis M. Litro, located at 237 Main Street, Buffalo, New York. If you or someone you know is seriously injured, give him a call at 716-852-1234 or check out LitroLaw.com. Josh Allen, downplaying the shoulder injury. <laughs> he was asked uh, several questions about it today, um, and he you know, kind of glossed over it, was, you know, he'll be fine. 
Uh, kind of alluded to the fact that it's kind of like a pain management thing. Uh, so we will see how that progresses. But Sean said something interesting today that, you know, he's been around Josh long enough and that if, if something rises to the level of concerning, Josh is usually somebody that lets him know. So they're not there yet, but with a shoulder injury, Ryan, like some, one of the things that you probably start to think about is, all right, if he goes out there against the Patriots and throws it 40 times, how's that thing going to be holding up in the fourth quarter? Um, and maybe does that lead him this week to sugar high Josh Allen and, and maybe utilizing the run game a little bit more, which, oh, by the way, we're not asking nearly enough about in all these press conferences. Right. So, you know, you don't want him to take extra shots to the shoulder either in terms of if he ran with the ball or things like that. But I think the Bills, this is one of those matchups where they could probably be uh, not lean on the run game, but run it uh, a little bit more than maybe they they usually do. This Patriots team has looked absolutely lost this season. Uh, there's been a lot of injuries. Some key players have been lost. Um, the <clears> offense. Ryan. Ryan, so are the Giants. I know. Or Sunday know, night, I, just throwing it out there. I, I'm just throwing, but I, I truly do think that Brian Dable, knowing this entire offense, right. the, the scheme, probably had Wink Martindale really well set up for preparation. Some Giants players said that um, they had a good idea of what the Bills are doing based on, you know, the looks that they were given on Sunday night, too. So every team obviously does their due diligence, watches the film and things like that. But I think the Giants did have a little bit of a leg up there. Uh, having Brian Dable, who you know, Ken Dorsey still utilizes his offense heavily in, in this system in Buffalo. Uh, against the Patriots, though, like I said, they've, they've been lost. I mean, they, they've been blown out by some teams that really aren't excellent or are outstanding uh, by any means. This just seems like a, a team that uh, has taken another step backwards somehow. I thought with Bill O'Brien, the offense was going to look better. They had some moments early on in the year where I said, okay, this might be a, a better functioning offense than it was a year ago, but uh, everything's kind of gone wrong for them. So I do think that the Bills can lean on this run game with Murray and Cook a little bit more. Maybe it's uh, some shorter passes, but you, you don't want him throwing the ball 40 times like you were, you know, originally said. You're hoping this doesn't turn into some kind of shootout because that probably would not be good for the, the, the pain management uh, aspect of the shoulder injury. Um. I want to transition here a little bit to talk about the offense in general. Then we'll get into the shout insider questions uh, to close out the show. You know, getting a chance to talk to Josh today, who was very uh, defensive of Ken Dorsey. And I, I believe rightfully so. Um, I, I just, I think it's so easy to pin it on the play caller when I think that's a really difficult thing for the majority of fans and even media for that matter to like deduce when it comes down to like separating the blame and finding who's specifically to blame. There were, you know, a, a couple of plays in that game that weren't just not executed properly. And I thought it was, you know, interesting that, that not only did Josh come out and say, it's not Ken Dorsey. You don't know what's going on between the walls. Everybody has belief in him. Several players echoed those statements. But also it's just like it comes down to like little things early in games. Like that's what we're talking about is these really slow starts. They're not they're not like executing at a super high level consistently early in games the last two weeks. Like I know that's a cliche and a lot of people kind of throw that out. Um, 
but I, I don't think that they're making plays just simply like getting a couple first downs on the first drive, I think would do wonders. And that's something that Josh said has been an emphasis this week is just, all right, let's come out with that early game script and just execute effectively, like lean into some plays that we really like the details that we like, get a couple first downs and get it kind of rolling in that department. Yeah, and that's kind of the worrisome part of it is usually you see teams are clicking on that opening drive because those are the scripted plays, 10 to 15 scripted plays. You've been working on them all week. You, you think that it's going to uh, be advantageous for your matchup, and, and the Bills just haven't kind of come out the last few games. You know, London, you can, you can pin it on them, just kind of uh, the jet lag, the issues there. Last week, if you do look at that first drive, there was a, it was, they said incidental contact, the tripping, uh, really the guy stumbled and he knocked into Gabe Davis's leg should have been a flag. According to the officials on the television broadcast on that opening drive that gets called the bills probably do score some points, uh, or, or get into the range of score points. You know, they had two missed field goals. So they, they could have had 20 some points, 27, let's just say hypothetically, if they scored 27 points against the Giants, I don't think people are sitting here uh, saying how bad of a job this offense did. It just comes down to execution. It comes down to converting on those opportunities. And yes, Tyler Bass's field goals were about 52 and 53 yards, respectively, a longer kick still kicks that he's obviously more than capable of making based on his history. They weren't gimmies though. Uh, but this team does need to come out kind of and get into this groove early on, uh, take those second and long shotgun handoff plays out of the playbook. I think that'll go a long way uh, in, in kind of helping them move the chains and getting in better situations. One thing that I think is interesting, and I put it in the headline um, of this episode, is something that I think uh, Ken Dorsey should do more of. Um, and this is the one area that, a couple of things. Obviously, I think the conversation around Josh under center and running play action. Like I think they should lean into that more in general, not like considerably more, but say they're averaging eight under center snaps per game, maybe upping that to like 13, which gives you maybe two or three extra play action, play action snaps per game. Um, when it's working, I, I think would be useful, uh, for keeping defenses off balance a little bit. But I was shocked. Seth, Seth Walder from ESPN put out a uh, motion report. ESPN stats and info tracks this uh, data. And through six weeks, you're going to be amazed at where the Bills rank in motion at the snap percentage in the NFL. Can you guess, Ryan, out of 32 teams, where the Bills rank in snap motion percentage? Feels pretty low, So I'm not, but I'm not 100% sure. Where are they at? They're at number 26 of 32 teams, 13.7% of snaps. Do they have motion happening at the time of the snap for comparison's sake? The Miami dolphins are at obviously a crazy high number one in the league, 62.2% of snaps. Um, are they moving at the, at the, uh, when the ball is hiked, uh, the Los Angeles Rams are number two at 40.7. The 49ers are third at 39.2. The Detroit Lions are fourth at 32.7. So offenses that feel like they're among the elite in the NFL are using a lot of motion. And even the Chiefs who come in at 13 with at 19.9%, I almost wonder if the Bills wouldn't benefit from a little bit more motion in their offense when they're trying early on in games to find some, you know, 
just some momentum to, to throw different looks at. It doesn't have to be every single snap, but a little bit more of it. What, what did they do in the red zone when they needed to find a spark? They sent Deontay Hardy in a crazy motion kind of situation, ran, ran behind the running back, sent him back out wide, snapped the ball, got the ball to him in space, boom, touchdown. Like That was a staple of the Brian Dable-led Bills offenses. All the time. You, you saw Isaiah McKenzie being used in motion in those offenses, and uh, sometimes it helped Josh Allen to determine what these defenses were doing pre-snap, so it, it was beneficial in that regard. But it's also beneficial in, in helping these guys get open. And, you know, you mentioned the Hardy play. I think I'm pretty sure we saw that a few times at training camp, and it worked pretty well there, and it worked in this game. Uh, there was a really good one on Monday Night Football that the Chargers used as well against Dallas this week where Keenan Allen went in motion pre-snap, and it was the easiest touchdown you would see uh, just because of the way that he started out as a jog and he went full sprint across the line and uh, near the end zone, easy play. You know, so even some of these you know elite players use the motion and it works. And you mentioned the offenses, those are top in the league. Uh, maybe it's the personnel. Maybe it's the the packages that they're using. It, it's not working for that. But, you know, I would love to see some more three wide receiver sets with Hardy being the player in motion because he has that game-changing speed as much as you know we enjoyed Isaiah McKenzie as a gadget player he what he doesn't have the blazing speed that Deontay Hardy has if you get Hardy in motion get him that little like almost I almost want to call it like a head start because you see Tyreek Hill and the way that he gets up to speed off the line there uh when they snap it I think that would benefit Hardy significantly in terms of getting open down the field adding some fear into these defenses in that intermediate to deep area uh, where right now the only player that's really striking fear in their hearts is Stefan Diggs. And yes, Allen and this Bill's offense, they're getting him the ball. He's being productive. They're, they're finding ways to win games, but they need someone else to really start stepping up. And uh, maybe it is a mix and match of personnel packages. That they have to kind of throw out there uh, to start using motion a little bit more to their advantage. Did a little research uh, while you were talking there. And I'm going to have to walk back my comments because uh... <laughs> They're literally at almost the exact same percentage of motion that 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 was on these reports back in 2020 and 2021 wow. when Brian Dable was. As a matter of fact, they're a tick above about 12-ish percent of the snaps at different variations. I mean, South, South Walder has put out these reports for a couple of years now. I think ESPN started tracking this stat in um, 2019. But I wonder if it's just something where you look at some of the successful offenses and around the league and you look at the the Dolphins and the, the 49ers, it's like, all right, are we at the stage now where I think Ken Dorsey has been good. I'm kind of like in the minority. I think at, in terms of where he's at, second year play caller, he's done a lot of good things. The Bills still rank, and we're going to get into this in a little bit later in the show, pretty high in most offensive categories. But is, is this the time to start tinkering? And maybe that's something that they're doing. Sean was talking about maybe doing a little bit of a deeper dive this week to try to figure out, all right, who's going to be option two? Who's going to be option three in the offense? Maybe you could start implementing some of the other variations of, of plays that other offenses are using to have success around the league into what you already do in your own system. And that's what I would like to see because, you know, this is not a finished product on offense or defense as great as the defense has been. They're still going to add wrinkles in uh, over the course of the season, some new things that we haven't seen yet. You want that from the offense as well. And, you know, we get a lot of questions in the Shout Insider text line about why is Khalil Shakir getting so many reps over Hardy and over these other players. And 
you know, his blocking has been elite for the record for the, and that's probably a, a big reason why, but that doesn't mean that the Bills should keep it that way. They should, they should try to get Hardy more involved. They should try to get uh, Dolan Kincaid, their first, you know, over the first round pick uh, more involved in this offense. It, it just hasn't happened yet. And, you know, we talked last week about the fact that uh, the Detroit Lions, for instance, don't have a, a true alpha number one. They have a lot of really good players. Um, and the Bills obviously have an alpha number one top tier receiver in Stefan Diggs. So it, it muddies it a little bit. It makes it harder to necessarily get him the ball the way that they were to Sam Laporta. Uh, but he, he needs to see a rise in snaps, a rise in targets, because that's, again, another wrinkle that this offense is missing right now. What is up, everybody? This is Matt Prino from Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast, here to talk to you about Prize Picks, the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. Prize Picks is the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player staff projections and watch the winnings roll in. Football season may be over, but the action on the floor is heating up. Whether it's tournament season or the fight for playoff home court, there's no shortage of high-stakes basketball moments this time of year. Get in on the excitement with Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app where you could turn your hoops knowledge into serious cash. You can now win up to 100 times your money on Prize Picks with as little as four correct picks. You could turn $10 into $1,000 with NBA, NHL, and college basketball entries today on Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app. Download the app today and use code SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, download the app today and use the code SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, for a first deposit match up to $100. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, thank you so much. Smash that like button for us. Uh, subscribe to the channel if this is your first time here. We are live at least three times a week, and we always have you covered uh, game day, uh, week of the game, leading up to the game uh, with all your uh, Buffalo Bills coverage. All right, let's get into the Q&A. Um, uh, thank you, Rick Rarick on YouTube, reminding everybody to hit that like button. We appreciate that. We put out the uh, the signal to shout insiders, uh, and we're giving them the second half of this show uh, with all of their questions. Uh, if you have something, uh, if you're watching live and, and you have a question, you know, we, we got you. We'll, we'll bring those in as well. Um, somebody's saying, come on, Matt, how can the G and hanger be silent? That's right. I, I misspoke there. It's not the heavy G is silent. Like you're saying hang er, where it's just more like hanger. Like the G is, it's, it's just subtle. It's a subtle G, right? I like that. We're still on this topic. I know uh, I hear it all the time from not just Joelle, but her whole family. But then I just kind of bring it into conversations whenever I can, which is, it's not an easy word to just naturally bring up by the way. Okay, good. <laughs> um, uh, our producer Kayla said that she questioned uh, me in her head for a solid two, two minutes when I said that the G was silent. <laughs> I just meant like, just relax with the heavy G. That's all I'm saying. You, you, but I think you you kind of lean into these things too when you when you get this kind of feedback, Ryan. Am I right on that? Yeah, I think that's a fair and accurate assessment. All right. Let's get into these questions. Q&A style, rapid fire. We're just going to go one through one because we got like 15. 
So, um, all right, let's start with Kyle, our good friend, Kyle, uh, Hunter Renfro has fallen out of favor with the Raiders coaches. Uh, the bills probably could get him cheap. Could you guys see him as a trade target? And who else do you think could be a bills trade target? Got my bottle of wine, cigar and fireplace ready. Looking forward to the live show. Kyle, my man, we appreciate you. This is an interesting one because we got a lot of different things. I don't want to get into the um, trade targets because there's more questions about that. But let's specifically hit on Hunter here because this is, I feel like we've flirted with this idea on this show several times over the last couple of years. Like to me, if you look around the league at what Cole Beasley did, there's not a more like seamless fit to kind of take over that in that department than Hunter Renfro. Like he's, he's super sudden. He's creative as a route runner out of the slot. Uh, one other player that I'll mention later, he's not really a true slot. And that's what I feel like limits some of the other players. I, I don't think the Bills necessarily need uh, uh, an outside threat, uh, although I think you make an argument for it. We'll get into that in a little while. What are your thoughts on Hunter Renfro? You know, whenever you look at these trade candidates, it's hard when they have a big cap hit. Uh, he has a $13 million cap hit next season. I don't know what he's owed on the $13 million cap hit this year in terms of what's remaining. Uh, they would have to eat a lot of the salary to make it work first and foremost. But in, in terms of Renfro, the player, yes, I like the idea of adding a, a player like that that's fallen out of favor uh, with Las Vegas because he's someone that has shown in his career that he can win off the line. Uh, and that's where the Bills have been struggling. It's been Stefan Diggs winning his route immediately, getting open, uh, being able to kind of to catch the ball, then those short, quick hitters. Uh, Gabe Davis hasn't been able to do that. Dawson Knox hasn't been able to do that. Kincaid, the list goes on and on. So in terms of that, yes, I like the idea. I'm for uh, any type of player that they feel like can come in and, and win those immediate off-the-line battles. Uh create that immediate separation because that's what this team has been lacking so far this year. Yeah. The, the trouble for me visualizing this is like, what is the road to significant playing time for anybody they acquire at the trade deadline? There's already like too many people that they're trying to kind of fit into this thing. Like I think Trent Sherfield has a really cool skill set, and they talked all summer about how much they, Loved how quickly he acclimated and how many different things he could do. But instituting that and making it a part of the week-to-week -week offense, it just hasn't existed. And so, like, are you going to go out and trade an asset for a Hunter Redfro with this idea that he fits into this Cole Beasley idea Meanwhile, you have Dalton Kincaid, who you're still trying to figure out how to use, and you drafted him to be that guy. It's just like... Any kind of trade feels like for a slot guy feels like there's too many obstacles to clear. No, and, and that's fair. I mean, there's already enough mouths to feed in this offense that uh, aren't getting the ball. I just sat here a few minutes ago saying, I want Deontay Hardy to get more reps and uh, get more work in this offense. And if you add another player uh, as talented as Renfro has proven to be throughout his career, uh, then it, it's about the snap count when it comes to players like Hardy and Sherfield and, uh, Khalil Shakir. So that certainly makes it more difficult at the wide receiver position specifically. All right, let's get to our next question here. Uh, comes from Jonathan. Uh, the Titans are willing to listen to offers for Derek Henry. And I had a little bit of a back and forth on this, uh, with our good friend, Jonathan. Uh, I'm not sure if I've seen any reports that 
they're 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 open for business on Henry, but it does make sense at two and four, uh, being the limited offense that they they've been through six games and the Ryan Tannehill situation uh, is a you know tough situation to be in. So Derrick Henry in the last year of his contract, to me, there feels like a little bit more juice here than most of the time when we think about uh, a trade for a running back only because it's the last year of his deal. You probably get the Titans to pick up most of the tab. You probably don't have to give up a crazy amount. Like Ryan, am I crazy for being okay with maybe a fourth rounder for Derrick Henry on a one year situation to bring him in here and pair with James cook? I've watched the last couple of games for the Titans. It just worked out that um, I was able to watch them live. He looks like he's running the ball really well. Now I will say bleacher report had, some trade packages and it started with like a second and a fifth. I'm out at that. Like, I don't think you should make the move for that, but for a fourth, I don't know. Like, I think that's the kind of guy that not only comes in here and and becomes your best running back, but also like he adds like more legitimacy to your offense because he's been this like, you know, skins on the wall, all pro caliber player for so long. It's, it's why I think teams like the Eagles keep adding like the Julio Jones of the world because there's a little bit of a, you know, a juice boost. I like juice boost, by the way. That, that, that's a great term for this. Um, yeah, I actually watched him last week, and, and it's insane that for as much wear and tear as there's been on him throughout his career, the way that he can accelerate at his size is just scary still. Uh, he had a, a one really long run last week in, in the game, and he's still showing – uh, the ability to kind of get off of uh, tackle attempts, get downfield. So in terms of the player himself, I, I'm not against it. Uh, fourth and a fifth round pick, I'm all for that. Yeah, no way I would I send a day two pick, an early day two pick uh, at that for a running back, especially one with as much uh, wear and tear as I mentioned on him. But yeah, a day three pick or picks, all for that idea, especially with the Bills. Uh, getting a, another third-round pick in this upcoming draft because of the Tremaine Edmonds contract and free agency. Uh, I, I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of what this offense is missing, putting fear in defenses in terms of the run game. James Cook has that home run hitter ability, uh, but they don't have that that person that strikes fear between the tackles. Davis Murray's been fine. He doesn't strike fear, though, in any defenses, obviously, uh, the way Derrick Henry would. So, in my opinion, I feel like the trade candidates need to be on the other side of the ball, on uh, the defensive side with the injuries that they, they've gone through, especially at the cornerback position. But if you can get a premier player like Henry and the price is right on a team with, uh, you know, in a tough conference like the AFC, I think that it would put the Bills, uh, you know, another notch ahead of some of these other contenders. Um, Brent asks, potential additions, trade targets, for the team at one tech defensive tackle. Um, I don't have a ton, like, you know, one name that's kind of floating out there and he's not a one tech. He's more of an edge rusher, but he could play a little bit inside is Daniel Hunter. But I think the money is probably too big. I was thinking about even like if Washington got to a place where they became sellers, like giving them a call about like Jonathan Allen would be super interesting because you have to think about long-term too, Ryan. Like you have Ed Oliver under contract, but beyond him, there's no other defensive tackles under contract. So if you can maybe swing a Jonathan Allen for like, you know, I, I want to give up a first rounder as good as he is. I want to give up a first rounder, but I, I'd start thinking about it at, at a two or something like that. If you're worried about your depth on the interior, 
Um, but you look around the league, I, I don't know if there's any like, you know, maybe if the Bucks really fell off, maybe calling them about Vita Vea. Like, I feel like that would be a, uh, I don't know if they'd be willing to kind of, he's like a, a you know, a stabilizing presence on their defense and in their franchise. Um, but I don't know. Again, maybe there's some lower end names that we could talk about, but I think if you're going to make a move like that, like you take you take a legit swing. And I don't know how many people are shopping like legitimate starting one tax. Yeah, um, th- it's going to be hard to find. I mean, what would your thoughts be on like a Harrison Phillips if it was a reunion? I know, yeah, I know. I'm but out. again, Minnesota, I'm out on that uh, idea. Listen, he go look go look at the career stats, man. He I is. Wonder. He's very, very average. And I and I think you have that guy. I I I think you can make an argument that, you know, Ilianku when he's played has been has given you I just think, as much as I Harrison think Phillips. Though, did. Uh is actually on the Falcons. Uh Who is? isn't Anku. He's on the Bills practice squad, according to the Bills website. Huh. Wiki has him on uh, Atlanta right now. But either way, um when it comes to <laughs> You know, Phillips, the only theory of, of that is he knows the system. He knows the defense. Um, we haven't really seen him in, in a true Sean McDermott scheme that we're seeing this year. It was more of the Leslie Frazier scheme, but it was more so the familiarity aspect of it. But you're right. I mean, uh, getting those players that uh, that are going to be available that one tech. I don't know if there's anyone out there that would be a game changer. I think that they like their depth of defensive tackle. We still haven't gotten a clear timeline either on Daquan Jones and, you know, how off or how soon could he be back? Realistically, could he come back this season late in the year? Is the playoffs realistic? If that's the case too, they might stay with the status quo there. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, he's been, a, he's been inactive uh, for the Falcons, uh, the Falcons, excuse my French. Um, the last couple of weeks, um, the bill's website got to get updated there. Uh, that They really let me down. Uh, huge error. Uh, anyway, let's get to the next question. Uh, I, I think, um, you know, they could spin the wheels a little bit at D tackle with, uh, what, and I think that's a good point that you make on Daquan Jones. Like what's the outlook? Will you get him back at some point this year? Uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. All right. Relax, Kalen. (laughs) What's going on here? My wife is like, uh, please rejoice on being right. Ryan, um, go ahead. Pick a victory lap. No, no, no. We're a team. This is a team effort. This is a team effort. Uh, listen, look at that. What a, what a, what a guy. What a gent. Um. All right. Next up, we got a lot of questions. We got to keep flying yeah. through these. John, I'm surprised Dorian Williams and Terrell Bernard weren't on the injury report. There was a lot circulating on Twitter this morning that they both had knee injuries during the game. Now, our good buddy Kyle Trimble was taking a little bit of heat on this. And I think people got to spend a little bit more time instead of just seeing the things that are, are retweeted, actually examining what the tweet is. Like I, I went and looked at his tweet on Terrell Bernard and he was just saying that he suffered an injury in game to his eye and he played through it. So like, okay, if he didn't show up on the injury report, I'm sitting here this on this day thinking, okay, he's in a good spot. Like it's not going to affect him long-term. I'm not like out for blood with, uh, with Kyle. I mean, Kyle's out there trying to like spot all these injuries and give you kind of that, uh, um, that analysis from a, a medical background. Uh, I think he did a good job and he actually had to play where he thought the injury happened. And he noted a couple of times during the game where it looked, it looked like he had a noticeable limp, but that the fact that he's okay now and he's not in the injury report is a, is a good sign for him. And then also Dorian Williams, if, if they were dealing with real injuries that they had to like, 
you know, rehab or like get treatment for this week, they'd be on the injury report. Right. And, and you know, it could just be a, a slight tweak, a slight thing in game that didn't feel right. Maybe, you know, made them limp here and there, but it, within a day or two, it can be gone and, and they can be fine. And uh, obviously it's, it's a good thing that they're not on the injury report. Both played a big role in uh, last week's win. Obviously Terrell Bernard has been uh, maybe the surprise of the season. I think AJ Epinesa can be up there too in that debate, but he's been outstanding. And I thought Dorian Williams had a really nice game uh, last week as well. You would, you would. No, I agree. He did have a good game. Um, no, my wife, I think she's realized too that she comments a lot in the chat and we don't see it usually, or we don't like respond to it. So she just has foregone the YouTube chat and she's gone straight to our text uh, inbox and just texting us both. And now I see gifts coming in. There's one from uh, bridesmaids. It's a whole, um, excuse my French, but shit show in, in, in the text <laughs> right now. She's going anyway. I like it. Yeah, there we go. All right, next question. All right, no more gifts, Caitlin. I got I to gotta find the questions here. Do you want me to get All right. Um, curious if there, from Joseph, curious if there is an update on Matt Milano and Daquan Jones. What are the chances either or both come back this season? I don't think we're going to get a substantial one until we really get them into you know, their rehab. And, like, are they able to walk? Are they able to, or for Milano, be able to walk? for Daquan Jones, be able to kind of, you know, have some mobility with that thing. I, I'm i pretty sure that the timeline on that is like at least six weeks till you probably get to a point where you can make another assessment in terms of where they're at. Yeah, they have to go through the rehab process on their respective injuries before we know. Uh, I, I just tell anyone that asks me, I think it's a good thing that Sean McDermott didn't close the door on either of them being out for the season. That alone should give fans a glimmer of hope that they could, one or both could be back late in the year. Um, from RJ, this is a good one. Do you think the Bills should go after a more reliable quarterback to back up Josh and the chance he can't play down the road? Uh, you know, this is a, is a timely question considering what's going on with the shoulder right now. Um, I've been on the record that I don't know if you can go out and get a quarterback that is going to make you feel good about any amount of time with Josh Allen on, uh, unavailable. Uh, could they upgrade the spot? Sure. Like, but what does that look like? What are, who are the real valuable backup quarter? Maybe like a Taylor Heineke is somebody that maybe like he reminds me a lot of like Ryan Fitzpatrick. Maybe he can give you some juice in a short amount of time. Somebody like in that category that's had some success. Um, I know Gard Gardner Minshew is now the guy in yeah, Indianapolis. I might have mentioned him, uh, but that, that's off the table. So I don't know. I just I don't know if you're going to be able to go out and get a guy and how much are you willing to really give up? for that right now i don't think there is an answer out there necessarily and even heineke you, you know who you just mentioned I, I think he could become the starter in atlanta i think uh right. desmond ritter has really struggled and he had one good game uh two weeks ago but there's been a lot more downs than ups and if this team is planning on trying to make a run in that division this year they might have to turn to him that he might be their best option they do have a lot of uh good players on that offensive side of the ball that aren't getting utilized properly on a consistent basis so I don't even know if he would be available. So in theory, yes, it's a great idea. It's a great plan to go out and try to get someone that you think uh, could come in if something were to happen. But there's very few cases where, uh, you know, like the Nick Foles of the world where he kind of comes in, plays hot, leads him to the Super Bowl and things like that when it comes to the backup situation. Okay. Do you, uh, second part of RJ's question, do you believe it will ever get to the point where Ken Dorsey gets help calling plays? Um 
I mean, it's hard to predict the future, but right. I think Sean was pretty direct with that. Um, had no problem with the question that Tim Graham asked from the athletic. I thought it was, um, sometimes you got to just throw a question out there to just see, take the temperature of the room, see where things are at. Um, I think the most important thing, you know, cause he took some heat on that. And so I'll, uh, I'll back him up a hundred percent on that. It was a, Great. it was a good question. I thought it was a, you know, a conversation starter. And if you, if you notice everybody quickly, uh, reacted to it. And, and that to a degree is his job, like in, in all of our jobs in that, in those press conferences to, you know, create a conversation around what's happening with this team and that, that accomplished that. So kudos to Tim. I thought that was a good, good question. And it, and it led to a, a, a string of other questions and then into the Ken Dorsey one as well, which, you know, we also talked to him about, um, I asked him specifically about the, the shotgun draw play that he will not erase from his repertoire. And he's, and he came back and defended it and said, listen, it's about creating situations that, you know, surprise the defense. And I maybe push back a little bit and say that that play has not surprised many defenses this year, but the idea behind it is to create balance. Um, I think Ken's done a really good job of calling plays. I think the bills are, uh, I think it was Mike Sando who put out a tweet uh, today was kind of taking a shot at the local media, asking Josh so many questions about um, Dorsey and said, crazy considering the Bills are, I think, third in the league in, in EPA per play and sixth in, in success rate. Um, those are a couple uh, advanced analytic stats. And I would agree with that point. Like, I, I, I think that, listen, I think that there's certain things we can kind of dive into with Dorsey, and, and that's what I attempted to do with, you know, asking him about shotgun versus play action last week and kind of getting his, you know, thoughts on that. He didn't, he's never too revealing, but I, I think we can ask those questions, but I do think like suggesting that this offense hasn't been good this season. Um, if that were anybody's assertion, I think would be wrong. Yeah. And first of all, Tim's question was bring up the point that the bills do have multiple coaches on that side of the ball that have called plays before. And uh, you know, the, it was only for a few plays or for a half, but we've seen McDermott take, play calling over from Leslie Frazier at times in his tenure, uh, one time specifically coming to mind. So it, it was a fair question, and and Sean was very quick to say no and, and to kind of move on from that. But I, I understood the talking point. But when it comes to this offense, it comes down to execution. Uh, and it comes down to not shooting yourself in the foot with penalties and getting yourself backed up because we have seen a lot of really good things from this offense when they can stay in, in front of the chains and they're not taking 10-yard penalties and they're not taking – you know, per, you know, these 15 yarders and, and putting themselves in unrealistic situations to move the ball when there's not drops, when there's not penalties that aren't getting called on like the quote unquote feet tangling in that first time. So uh, overall, this offense has done very well. You know, there's that three game span where they're outscoring teams, what, like 123 to, to 33 or something like that. So this offense, when when it gets into a rhythm, really does, you know, execute well and, and moves the ball and puts up points. It's just about getting into that rhythm early. Jonathan says, and, and we can give our big picture um, trade prediction if you want, if the Bills were to make a trade. Jonathan asks, if Bills uh, do make a trade before the deadline, what do you think they go after? Um, I, and you mentioned the defensive side of the ball, so maybe that's the way that you want to go. I think this is super interesting, and I, I'm I'm uh, highlighting Carl Tommen here. I think that the Patriots, they lose this weekend, it's going to be a fire sale, I'd imagine. Like, they're going to try to, you know, get as much draft capital as they can before the deadline. Uh, you know, they may be moving on from Mac Jones. Like, who knows? 
What are the chances that Bean, Carl asks, pulls the trigger and Kendrick Bourne walks across the field and becomes a Buffalo Bill? It's the last year and has team-friendly contracts and the Patriots are tanking. He's actually one player. Like, is this a crazy take, Ryan? I would rather have Kendrick Bourne than Jerry Judy. Is that wild? No, because Jerry Judy is disappointed quite a bit, honestly, in his tenure with that pedigree, with that high pick. Bourne adds to something a little bit different. And it's funny when he brought up this question in the chat, it does feel like the Patriots are that one team that trades within the division more than anyone else. I was looking back and, and it's, you know, some of these are way back when, but two trades with the bills about five or six with the uh, Dolphins since 2003 um, since 2019, they've made a few trades with the Jets. So, they never kind of shut the door on any team when it comes to a player. And, you know, if they're trying to get in on these, Caleb, you know, the quarterback sweepstakes is not just a one quarterback show anymore in this upcoming year's draft. If they want to do that, then, yeah, getting rid of a wide receiver in the final year and getting a, a late round pick back in exchange isn't the worst uh, play in the world. So I don't hate it for me. It'd be a cornerback. That's the one position. I think they need to go after, and it, it's tough, again, with salary cap figures uh, and things like that. You know, Dante Jackson was one name that was put out there in Carolina and being available, but he has a heavy cap hit next year. Uh, is that something that you can work and manage and maneuver? Is it something where you can lower that cap hit if you like him? The Bills had him as a pre-draft visitor uh, back in his draft class. They did their homework on him. Trey White was very complimentary of him wanting to have another LSU guy in that uh, cornerback room at the time. So uh, I also watched him get just absolutely roasted by Tyreek Hill last week, though, as well, which Hill does that to most people. But um, cornerback is the one position specifically that I would be targeting. The thing back to Bourne, too, that why I ultimately wouldn't make the deal um, is because I think that what he does well is what you signed Deontay Hardy to do. Yeah, And if he's not able to do that already, or if you're not even giving him the opportunity to do that, you're not going to go make a trade for somebody and try to force feed it into the offense. Like I almost think that <clears throat> as much as I think like what, how born wins feels like he does a lot of stuff over the middle of the field. Now I do think Gabe Davis has done more of that this year, which I think, helps the whole situation. I just think he gives you a different little bit of a different flavor. Although, you know, maybe games a little bit bigger, but they are actually similar in terms of like speed and, you know, kind of how they play. So maybe that's not, I'm talking myself out of it as we, as we kind of <laughs> talk through, I want to give Carl some, some love, one of our regulars in the YouTube channel, but he's somebody that kind of came up and, you know, if you're looking for, I think the, the idea I like the most is the Derrick Henry idea. If, if the price is right. Um, I just don't know, like, you know, you could probably go out and get a Levi Wallace, and I know how everybody feels like uh, about Levi. Uh, they're, they're actually, I think, have another cornerback that's on the trade block as well. I read a, a report on that. Um, so, yeah, let's get to a couple more of these questions before we have to get out of here. Zach, our good buddy Zach, what, um, who do you think is the X factor at this point outside of Stefan Diggs and James Cook to get involved in this offense that will open things up? Uh, tight ends, Davis, Hardy, Murray, Sherfield. Um, who would you say, Ryan? Who do you think after those two, who's and, – and I think I'd, I'd probably even remove Cook from that, and I'd say who's number two after Diggs because I think Cook's kind of down the pecking order there. 
You know, I, I think it's Kincaid based on where they drafted him and what we saw from him this summer. But in terms of an X factor, when I think of X factor, I think of this one guy that can kind of come in and uh, get you a big player or two here and there once a week. And for me, that's Hardy. Hardy has that game-changing <clears throat> speed, that breakaway speed. We saw him uh, make big play after big play during his tenure in New Orleans. And he had one opportunity in, in that Jacksonville game to go downfield, and he executed it. It was like a 40-some yard gain, if I remember correctly. And then he had a 20-yarder in that one as well. So he can get those chunk plays for you. So for an X-factor, someone that can get the big chunk plays, he's my guy that I would choose. Yeah, I hit that. I threw that lob up, and Roy Collins came in and dunked it home with the get GTFOH out of here with the Levi Wallace talk. I'm just kidding, Jeff, Roy. Uh, I won't do that to you. I know that. You know, things are – we moved on from that conversation, and uh, we're not going to bring it back up too soon. Don't worry about it. All right, let's go to um, David. This will be our last one. Outside of evacuation, I think you might have been looking for a different word there, word there but we'll see. Could uh, A, probably be the combination of plays in a series, meaning uh, two obviously in the one play to the next. I don't know having trouble reading this one um bills try a hook and ladder play between Diggs and cook the play was an interception for josh it was not i felt way better the next day just because they tried this play jags versus bills game i believe getting it uh in the film was important in my opinion thank you guys um so i think that the idea of this um it, i should have followed up with him is should the Bills kind of do a little bit more um, trick plays, out-of-the-box thinking kind of plays just to get it on tape to maybe cause some, you know, uh, worry or preparing for more things for opposing defenses? You know, I, I'm not against it. I think that the play that he was referencing, though, was like the fine, one of the final plays or, or late in that game where they were just trying to get it. was like the last play, right? It was like a fumble. Yeah, if I remember correctly there. So uh, that that may have been it because they, they were able to force them to punt, get the ball back late, and, and probably tried it there. And that's that's very common. You get those laterals. You get sometimes the teams do the hook and ladder. Um, in terms of getting more creative plays out there on tape to get the idea in the opposing team's head that they could try to run it, I'm not against it, but there's a time and place for all of these calls. Uh, there's a reason why that play came late in, in that uh, regulation game against Jacksonville. I mean, it was a last-ditch desperation type of play. That doesn't mean that every creative type of play out there is in that uh, same box. You know, flea flickers, you don't see those as much anymore. That's something they could try. They could do the, the double end-arounds. They could do a lot of different things. Wide receiver passing the ball down the field. Getting those things on tape from time to time when the opportunity presents itself based on what you see from opposing defenses on their film, uh, I'm all for it. But uh, again, it's not something where I want this Bills team to have a, a Taysom Hill type of player on this roster uh, taking reps away from a Josh Allen type of quarterback. So if that makes sense. It does. And I think that's a, a beautiful bow to put on our Shout Insider Q&A. Good job, Ryan, as always. Um, and if you want to do a good job for everybody – at your party this Sunday. Maybe you're not going to Gillette Stadium, and why would you want to? Um, I'm just <laughs> kidding. I'm just kidding. Boston people are wonderful. Just kidding. Start your slider Sunday winning streak with Kings Hawaiian this football season and earn rewards to redeem for free product 
brand swag, tailgating gear, and much more. Visit slidersunday.com, get, get all the details, and then visit the Tops Deli section and look for the bright orange King's Hawaiian display to scan the QR for a chance to instantly win tailgating prizes. And then get a lot of homework, Bills Mafia. Visit topsmarkets.com slash slidersunday. Get all the best slider recipes you can handle. Always make Tops Friendly Markets a part of your game day. Ryan Talbot, final thought. All right, we got a couple of super chats here. Let's get these yeah, in before we get the final, final thought. thought. <laughs> final thought is check out the super chats that we have here. Go uh, for which wide receiver in the 24 draft? Dude, you, Carl's coming in with the he with is. the heavy hitters, dude. I have not started. I have not watched. The only college football team that I've watched this year is Colorado. Yeah, you know, and, and Worthy is at Texas, and he's a really good player. I want to say there was a Boston College receiver I just watched that was had an unreal game. Florida State has some good guys. Uh, obviously, Marvin Harrison Jr. is the top receiver in this year's draft, nowhere near Buffalo's range. But uh, there's some really good receivers in, in this upcoming draft. And even if the Bills are in those late 20s or, as you know, Bills fans are hoping, the last pick of the first round, uh, I still think they could get a, a good wide receiver to fall into their lap. So, uh it all depends on what they, they see their needs being. Obviously, if Gabe Davis is not part of their long-term plans, that probably shoots up their uh, their draft board in terms of position need, and it's a, it's a good year to have that as need based on the talent in the listen, upcoming draft. Listen, if uh, I'll do some work on the wide receivers uh, before December, and I'll get back to you on that, Carl. But in the meantime, if we were power-ranking shout fans, I think Kyle Gauger is a – write him in pen top three candidate this dude is not only a shout insider but he's looking he's in, he's in the he's in the live show going like this with the super chats pumpkin spice lattes on me boys thanks as always for the top-notch content thank you kyle and thank, thank you, you all of you uh for making us a part of your wednesday night uh you can find us on the audio platforms as well if you came in late and you want to download the episode to listen to later and we will be right back on Friday. Preview, Bills versus Patriots. Take care, everybody.